0: Welcome back to another episode of Small Business Dads. My name's Daniel Monday. Thanks for tuning in and checking us out for another week. Cool little chat to share with you today with Richard Ernster. He's from the Helping Hand Group. And it's a nice little story. They do auctions and fundraisers for um, whether it's a um, corporate fundraising event or for charities, whatever they, um, they sporting memorabilia or holidays, what have you. Great little story. They've been around for over 20 years. So he's got some cool stories from items they've auctioned, they've The amount of money that they have raised is pretty astounding too, which Richard shares during the show. And he's also got some great little advice as a dad that may well help you if you're dealing with preteen or early teenagers yourself. So we'll get straight into Richard's chat. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did speaking with him. Welcome back. We're joined today with Richard Ernst,er from The Helping Hand Group, also known as The Kilt Auctioneer. How are you, Richard?
1: G'day, how are you? Thank you for the time today. I much appreciate that.
0: No dramas. Well, thanks for coming on and giving us some of your time, mate. I'm keen to hear more about what you do down the track and mm-hmm. the kilt auction is obviously a bit of a nice angle, but before we yeah. get into all of that, I'd love to hear a bit more about you personally, your background. So give us a bit of idea about your story and your family and, and so forth. That'd be awesome. Yeah,
1: thank, thank you. So, um, you know, we, uh, my business started, um, very much uh, like your interest in um, MBA and uh, basketball in general with uh, uh, collecting basketball cards back in high school with my nice. uh, business partner, Oliver Slobodetsky and um, we uh, collected cards together. And then that rolled into the first business that we had, which was uh, called the Card Shack. We uh, traded basketball cards and bought and sold. And that was um, huge for a while. there. So we had a number of shops around um, Sydney, and then basically, we um, segued into memorabilia. So, um, you know, signed Michael Jordan jerseys and basketballs. And, um, and then, obviously, there was interest beyond basketball. So, like, you know, Rolling Stone signed guitars, so Donald Bradman signed cricket bats, et cetera, et cetera. And very fast, um, that, you know, there's a bit of a following behind that with the first um, movers in that field in Australia. Um, that really sort of peaked around the 2000 Sydney Olympics. But just before that, we started the fundraising arm of our business called the Helping Hand Group. And we started with um, Oliver was a semi-professional cricketer with the South Sydney Cricket Club. And so we assisted that had a fundraising lunch and we um, auctioned some memorabilia off at that event. And that went really well. And then that rolled into other cricket clubs like Sydney University and St. George Cricket Club wanting to use our services. And, um, and at every event there's, you know, people go to these events for networking and, um, you know, other clubs and institutions like, University of Sydney, the Sydney Swans, the Red Cross of Australia—they would see us and um, and want to use us at their service at their own events because um, at that point um, auctions were not really uh, heavily done at these events; they were um, raffles and things like that. So we really professionalised that industry probably about 23 years ago now, so 1997.
0: Nice. Well, you picked up my ears a little bit hearing about the uh, basketball cards because actually it's actually come back around, and that's quite big business now. There's a lot of money involved in cards these days. I'm not sure whether you're still in that circle or not.
1: No. So, so we're not in, not involved in that to this day. I mean, we we do um what, where we still involved with basketball is that we do a lot of the memorabilia. So um, uh, whereas um the holiday side of it, you know, you can have trips to the Singapore F one or you know private villas in Phuket for five and ten thousand dollars. Um, we, the memorabilia, you know, like a signed small photograph or something like that for $200 is not really a big, um, fundraiser for us. So we try to have really bespoke items like a signed LeBron James jersey with a Michael Jordan signed jersey the dual 23s Beautiful. or, um, you know, I mean, we've been in it for a long time. So obviously the really sad and untimely passing of Kobe, Kobe Bryant, yeah. but, we, but we did have, um, quite a bit of memorabilia signed by Kobe because he was obviously one of the biggest legends of all time. Definitely. So that's been something we've carefully ceded to really good clients of ours. Um, because unfortunately, when someone passes away, um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, cash grabbing and things like that, mm. people wanting to get on board. So, um, you know, that's been really good as a fundraiser, but um, we've always been offering Kobe Bryant items, or LeBron James items, or Jordan, you know, back back to the day. So, yes, we're still involved, but not with the cards per se.
0: Cool. And obviously, with all that sort of things, there's a high charitable component to it. How do you... Um... What was the main thing that uh, that drew you to that initially? Like, obviously, you know, from the you were involved in the sports side, the sports memorabilia. But what um, what led to the charity side of things more so?
1: Well, it's a good question. I mean, it was first with the sports, like um, like you correctly picked. down, it was um, you know we we supported the cricket clubs, and um, and then got into uh, supporting um, the Sydney Swans as the first big sporting in, in group that we worked with. But but I thought back then we thought charities. You know, they they've been doing it. You know. There've been Venetian balls hundreds of years ago, and charity balls, and you know gala events are coming from the United Kingdom and you know um, overseas. And it was really at the Red Cross that was our first major event in May 1998. And um, you know that that legendary fundraiser and um, marketing manager um, lady called Bronwyn Badger, and she um, you know used us, and we raised something like seventy or eighty thousand dollars from the silent auction. And we were asking, you know, we we're a couple of kids really, you know, back then um, about twenty-three years old you know, why would the Red Cross, you know, huge organisation, globally, use a couple of, you know, kids with this stuff? And um, she just said, uh, look, we, we've got a couple of people on staff that are calling year-round, getting, trying to get donations out of organisations. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the hit rate was extremely small. And those two uh, ladies are doing that, you know, whatever they were earning at the time, probably pro rata today, $80,000, $70,000 a year. If we factor the cost of those people's time making those calls to get prizes that are not... As good as the items that you are able to supply on a consignment basis sale or return plus you're there manning the event for free to speak to guests and let them know you know where did you get that michael jordan signed photo where did that michael jackson sign you know glove come from whatever we were offering um she said it's it's, it's money can't buy it she was actually telling us about what the salient benefits of our business were and um from there it was uh, we did the autism association um, one of our longest term clients Kel beckett who's still uh, Involved, um, you know, in charitable space, uh, we work down in uh, Melbourne with the Reach Foundation, Jim Steins, and um, his lovely sister Sharon Steins. Still working with Sharon Steins at the Very Special Kids. So these longitudinal um, relationships that we've built, because the items that we get, and we continually. Um, you know, diversifying. So for example, if the Bucks win it this year and Antin Tukumpo will get, you know, like a signed, you know, jersey of his or something because we always have to have fresh items because people going year in, year out to these events, they need new items to bid for, not something they've already got on their shelf. Sure.
0: Now it's obviously and it's obviously a passion that you've got helping out others and so forth. And what's the main reason someone would get involved as as either either a donor or to employ your service. Obviously now with COVID, it's a bit different. But normally, yes. like in the in the real world, when things yeah. are back to normal.
1: Great question, Daniel. So these events that are run, um, one of the biggest issues is the key point, and we're talking about pre-COVID. Is is a live event? It's bums on seats. That's the most important thing they can do. So event organisers. Um, you get a ballroom, whether it be The Star or Crown or, you know, Western Hotel, anything like that, 800 capacity, you want to sell as many tables as possible. And these tables, two, three, $5,000 a table. And um, these people want to, you know, yes, they need a good time, a good MC, a band, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera, But the bums on seats is the most important. And if they're losing their time and valuable mental space on the chair decorations or what the, um, you know, the tablecloth colours or even what auction items they're going to be sourcing, they're not selling the tickets and marketing the tickets. And this is a competitive space. You know, there's, you know, all the charities whilst the charities are competing in that space for, um, you know, guests who can go to X amount of events a year. So we take that um, strain out of them, their hands. There's no cost to using our services. You know, they might get myself as the Cure auctioneer or one of our great other auctioneers, um, you know, at, at no cost, again, no cost for our services. But at the end of the day, anything that they do get donated, if they've got a, you know, one of the jewellery companies gives them a diamond ring worth $10,000, we'll auction it and every dollar, above, uh, sorry, every dollar goes back to them on those items. But our items are a consignment basis. Okay. So anything that our item costs them, they're getting maybe a Michael Jordan jersey, which might cost you know $5,000 on eBay, we'll supply to our cost price. It might only be $1,300. Yep. If it goes for that $5,000 retail, they'll get $3,700 and we'll take only the cost price of $1,300 everything else goes back on top of that goes to them. So there's no risk or cost for using us. And the question about the donors is you want those guests to go to these events. They're not going to buy something unless it's something that directly appeals for them. So, you know, you've got sporting photos there in the background behind you. You're going to look for something like that. If there's only jewelry or uh, watches or things like that, that maybe not specifically interest you, you're not going to bid. So we are able to bring a cross section of items that, you know, Starlight Foundation might not have a contact with the NBA or, um, you know, uh, the Rolling Stones or things like that. So, we are able to add a great element at no cost. And it becomes free entertainment for the guests who don't necessarily bid but still look at these beautiful display. It's like going into, you know, the highest-end, um, you know, store on, you know, Champs-Élysées in Paris and looking at these incredible items. So, it's... It's also...
0: Sorry, it's also the... I guess as a as a bystander, as watching two people or three people having me people is going head to head to add a bit on something is actually quite enjoyable when you have seen those things before. It's uh, it's a bit of entertainment in itself. I'm guessing.
1: Yeah. The live auction definitely. So we, we focus on a smaller about eight items in the live auction. Um, probably only about 10% of the guests in the room can afford to bid on that. So we don't want to, um, uh, take up too much time so eight items is about 15 minutes of running time and yes you're right you see people fighting it out and um a, a lot of time in you know i've seen people climb on the tables to wave their bids and people give them a good round of applause and it's a really great way to get a product for your purchase or donation but you're actually getting that kudos of the of the organization and, and the group of big room of uh, big hitters seeing you bid but then we also did a silent auction where the items might be $500 and $800 and people place their bids and, you know, register whether it be online or through the forms and those are not, get, you know, there's a lot more items in that silent auction range.
0: Sure. And how, and obviously, you know, there's no more live events at the moment. Is there stuff where you can go for an online sort of silent auction, so to speak, or an eBay type of auction where you have your X amount of dollars or is that something that's possible still for um, companies to benefit from now or is just not a thing yeah. at the moment?
1: No, no, absolutely. So um, our clients, some of them are doing online auctions and online events even. And one of the clients that we uh, just recently worked with, uh, Ronald McDonald House, they ran a fantastic event. Raised a lot of money, and there was some really great bids. Um, we actually sold two Don, Sir Donald Bradman uh, signed cricket bats um, uh, to the bidder and also the underbidder, so that was a great event. But a lot of events are um, understanding that whilst online options are effective, they're not as effective as that live room. Yeah. You've got the captive audience you're looking at, at your friends or you know, the, the rival bidders. You know, you're having a drink. It's that social environment that really feeds the competitive bidding, and um, that's what we're looking for. And, um, it might be not this year but I'm um, certainly very early next year. People are going to be hitting the ground hard on those events again.
0: I think people will just be happy to go out and go to those type of things eventually when the, uh, you know, the time and place is right just for that, that connection again, I think.
1: I agree. I mean, look, this is the thing before, um, you know, coronavirus obviously it's changed the way we, we, you know, do business and, um and are living at the moment and, you know, touch wood. We never, you know, the deaths are starting to be capped certainly in Australia and, um, and overseas, but, you know, people will want to go back to that socializing. You know, you know, you and watching probably the NBA playoffs or definitely um, the sport AFL. It's not the same. You know, they're, they're they're putting fake crowd noise. It's not the same. Not going to the event, uh, live event. I love Formula One. I go to Australia and um, Singapore each year. Both were cancelled this year. Um, it's not the same watching on TV, especially with empty stadiums. Mm. And people will go back to it. It's not like we're going to go. Oh well, I got used to not watching basketball live. I'm going to watch it at home for the rest of my life. But people still are going to want to be amongst other people in a sporting arena at a live event. You know, there's nothing better. I mean, like it's wonderful. And like you're saying, people buy a table each year, they bring their, you know, work colleagues or friends and, you know, they have a dance at the end of the night. It's such a great, you know, thing to see the 360 of the event from the start to finish as we're involved with.
0: And obviously the main thing at the end of the day, which everyone's there for is there's a charity that's getting some decent benefit out of it in the end.
1: Absolutely, and, um, and that's a great thing. There's no way that a charity can't um, benefit from our involvement. So we donate a holiday to every event that we're um, involved with. So that might be to, um, now we're looking at local-based experiences like mm. Port Douglas or Hunter Valley, which we specialize in through our great partners at Goodwill Getaways. But um, what we do is we, uh, there's no cost for our involvement. Anything that doesn't sell of our items, we take back at no um, you know, risk to the charity to involve us. And like I said, anything they get donated, um, if they're putting a diamond ring in, we won't try to put another rival diamond ring. We yep. want to maximise the donation because that's what will have us coming back each year and helping them um, achieve their uh, goals.
0: Now, the thing I'm curious about, if we can go a little sidetrack in a moment before we delve into your family side of things, is this sure. whole title around the kilt auctioneer. That obviously got my interest when we first communicated and it's a good way to get yourself known, I guess, as as a nice little, uh, probably gimmick so one were, but a nice little... Uh, a nice little uh, moniker as such um, tell yeah. us how that came about have you got well, it's a scottish exactly heritage I mean.
1: or no i'm actually not scottish at all I'm, uh, my parents were romanian and um i was born in australia but it was funny because a couple i'm, I'm quite active on linkedin it's how you and i met daniel the um and uh, a good friend of mine now he was um a company called kilt ads and the gentleman's name's colin stewart he basically um, was he goes to F1 events, which I'm very active and um, love around the world. He'd been to Monaco and Silverstone and all that kind of thing in Europe. He's based in Scotland and he would parade around the grounds, you know, and in the, in the tracks uh, wearing kilts and people, you know, advertising specific brands. And it was just a dream of his to be able to get to Singapore and he needed sponsorship, et cetera, to, to get all the way across to, to Singapore. And through my connections at the um, Fairmont-Swisseton Hotel, um, I was able to get him sponsorship on his jerseys, which um, I gave him some rooms. And, um, you know, he was very appreciative and you know, wanted to basically pay me a commission for the for the deal, put it together. And it's a friend of mine. I don't want any money. I'm not taking money for this podcast. And basically, he made me a kilt. And um, it, it was uh, amazing because it's... Uh, the um, Loch Ness uh, clan. So I'm, I was inducted into this nice. clan and, um, cause I actually didn't even know if you're not Scottish, you could, you can still wear a pill, but I was invited to it and I was made um, with the special tartan. And so I wear it um, occasionally in, in um, on auctions and special events. And um, I'm still uh, the only Jewish uh, kilted auctioneer <laughs> in the world. So um, that's a, even the next level uh, gimmick as we call it, but um, it, you know, people love it. And um, you know, we do, we've got offices across Asia where, people have been attending, um, you know, many um, Scottish people will wear a kilt to these events, you know, it's part of their dress, Um, you know, but in Australia, it's very, very few and far between. So it is um, well regarded when, um, when you get up there in the kilt. And people, people love it. And, you know, you get all the jokes about what you're wearing underneath it, but it's, um, (laughs) it's it's good on stage. Definitely. Yes.
0: Well, that's a conversation starter too. I guess it's a nice icebreaker for the audience as a way for, and when you're starting something off and hosting them and trying to put everyone at these with uh, opening up their wallets, so to speak? Yeah,
1: for sure, for sure. And um, yeah, look, you know, at, at the end of the day, we're there to raise money. Um, it's a little bit different. Like when you go to a real estate auction when people that are there, they spent money on the building and pest inspection and getting the loan together. You know, everyone's paying attention to the auctioneer. But at a charity event, like I was saying, only 10% of people probably bidding, people having a drink. They're not there. They're paying big money. They don't need to listen to you. So you don't want to be going shh and tapping the glass and making people be quiet. It's better to get their attention um, in a more subtle way.
0: Nice. Well, I'm sure it does the job. Now, mate, let's uh, sidetrack for a moment. Let's get a family side of things. Now, I know you mentioned you've got a couple of boys and they're not exactly young anymore, but still young enough, I'm guessing but yes. um, give us a bit of rundown about the family side of things and how, and how you feel, um, you yeah, know, that into, um, that works in for you as a dad and also as a business owner.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. And I mean, you're correct. I've got two young boys, Jonah and Archie, 13 and, um, 10 and a half going on 16. It looks like, <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so it, it's great because my business partner, Oliver, he's got three sons and they sort of slot in one around each other. So the five boys between us. Um, and look, I, I really look forward to a time when, uh, uh, Jonah for example will be, won't be long when he can come to a live event and see you know his dad up on stage and, yeah. and you know i guess doing what i do best it's just like you see the nba players with their you know, young sons and their daughters and they bring them to the yeah. games and it's it's my closest version of that so um they've they've been around the whole time you know during the business because we started in 97 and my oldest was born in 2007 so um it's a yeah it's been a long genesis but you know we we're trying to Maximize time. I know um, my business partner and myself, we're both um, hands on dads. We, um, you know, really involved in the school activities. Um, I do security um, volunteering at the school, for example, for the boys. I don't know if I'm much of a deterrent, but um, I'm not <laughs> in a high viz, not in a kilt. But um, it's basically, uh, yeah, look, you know, we really like being there for the dads and as dads. And, um, you know, basically the virus has sort of made more time available, but, um, you know, obviously term two this year, they were at home the whole time. Yeah. And just, you, know, you know, became a carer and a caterer and a teacher and all those extra activities that we all had to share during that um, tough period, which we're still going through in Victoria, unfortunately.
0: How did you find, as a dad, that worked for you? Was it a struggle the homeschooling and all that? Or was it a good chance for you with kids being a little bit older and not being, you know, 100% reliant on... Um, you for the whole time, like you know, like a toddler, so to speak, where yes. it was it was more a good bonding opportunity. Yeah, it was a, it's find? a good question.
1: It, well, I enjoyed PE, for example, because we did bike <laughs> riding, so nice. that, that was good. But it, yeah, but it, it, it's difficult. Like um, my one was just keeping them focused because for a child, I mean, you know, whether you know my kids were twelve and ten at that time, and it was um, it's difficult because you know you got a teacher who's on a screen. And screens for you historically, I mean, we're speaking on Zoom and, you know, we know that it's a business tool as well, Screens, but for them it's entertainment, purely yeah. entertainment, playing games, watching yeah. shows. And so suddenly you've got to pay attention to the teacher and, you know, you can daydream and just start, you know, um, if he was on Zoom on their laptop and then my oldest was picking up his phone and texting, they might, you know, call him out on that or whatever yeah. it might be and, you know, really maintaining that focus. So I was sort of hovering um, keeping them on different areas of the home um, so they weren't disturbing one another. It was a little bit of a challenge, but a um, uh, necessity. It wasn't like there was choice involved and um, you know, everyone else was sort of going through different you know, guises of that. So, um, yeah, I managed, but you know, I don't, don't want, want it to cool. go on you know, again. Like um, you know, the, we, we, we have them in school for a reason and the teaching is an excellent profession that, you know, and they had to adapt in the challenges in their own way.
0: That's yeah. the one thing I realized. I'm definitely not a teacher. There's no a reason obviously. why I didn't do that extra year when I was back at uni back in the day. <laughs> it's sad. There's, but, um, moving on now, how do you find not like, personally you'd like to unwind and get away from things, whether it's from either the dad side of things, when you just need to have a bit of downtime or maybe it's from the business side of things, especially now when you're going through a tough time at the moment, how do you like to step away from it all?
1: Um, Look, it's a good question because it's been part of a genesis in my life um, beyond the coronavirus, uh, stemming before that. So um, I, I've i been always very active and um, keeping fit. So I trained at home instead of obviously going to the gym um, during the virus. So I probably work out five or six times a week. So that was always easy to sort of take that break. That was never a challenge for me. I've been doing it for a long, long time. Um, I became vegan um, about the 30th of December last year. So... Um, just being healthier as well. And um, you literally feel energy coursing through you as opposed to your body spending a lot of that power breaking down animal products. Um, I don't find that now. So I'm lighter on my feet and, um, and you know, full, full, full charge of energy. Meditation also helps. Um, So I try to meditate twice a day, certainly minimum once a day. So all these things help me get through the mental, more the mental side of it. Um, Sure. because basically I've been, I've been doing well mentally despite the business, you know, no live events. And um, and also I guess not being able to travel to certainly overseas destinations mm. and now in Australia becoming a stratified place where this place can't go to that state and this state can't go to that state. It, it's been a lot of challenges, but I always very, very clearly aware that, you know, we're getting close to that million mark on deaths globally and Australia's, you know, approaching a thousand deaths. And, you know, if that, if I get through this without losing a loved one or someone I know, then, um, then financially is not, not the end of the world, you know?
0: Well, it's something that we can rebound from as well. But like you say, I can't imagine, you know, if you did have someone that was affected by it, just from something through, you know, no fault of their own, basically that's, you know, eight months ago, you wouldn't have thought about this on, on the radar. You just thought it was some little thing that was in a certain part of the world that we wouldn't have had to worry about here. And next thing you know, So it does. It does puts a whole new perspective on things.
1: We've never encountered something like this before, or certainly my lifetime. I mean, obviously there was world wars and things like that, but everything has been, you know, whether you see that bridge collapse in Italy or Mm. um, an earthquake in, you know, United States or you know hurricanes. It's it's obviously very tragic, but it's in an isolated area of the world, and um, and you know it's also financial health you know, it's so many different um mm. people affected by it, whereas you know the GFC was clearly a financial yep. um negative. It wasn't people dying on the streets unless they were, you know, um, committing suicide, God forbid for a financial loss, but it wasn't mm. crossing these boundaries that are normally very separate events.
0: Let's focus on some positives rather than uh, you know, being down in the uh, negative side of things. And obviously, um, you know, you have had a lot of success over the years, business-wise, in in the last Thank 20 you. or so years. What would you say something that stands out for you? Maybe it's charities you've helped, or you know, different. Uh, maybe it was items that you've auctioned that was a pretty, you know, bucket list thing for maybe something as a kid you had it. You know, whether it was Michael Jordan or whatever, or you know, LeBron or maybe musician or holiday you were able to give away to someone is there something that stands out as some as some highlights
1: yeah so i'll pick two from that um great list that you just made as prompts but um in 2017 we celebrated our 20th year at the helping hand Group. so three years ago and around that time about a month after the anniversary date around august 2017 we passed 100 million dollars in funds raised for charity wow so, awesome. um, uh, yeah, it, it, it was mind boggling at the time. Um, you know, that, that kind of a number yeah. and people, uh, uh, you know, put a couple of posts on LinkedIn and people were supportive and just went, you know, wow, onto the billion now. And, you know, just obviously from zero to 100 million, you know, it's massive. And obviously talking about a billion is a different, you know, fish altogether, but exponentially that, that can occur, you know, it might yes, take definitely. another 20 years, but, um, you know, the rate will be faster because at the start we were raising, you know dollars hundreds of dollars small rather man's. than hundreds of thousands yeah. correct so i mean that that now we're up to about 115 million and obviously coronavirus has curtailed that growth for a while there but um 115 million is is an amazing number so that that's that's the overall that's huge, achievement yeah. that makes me proud proudest of and another one was um back unfortunately when michael jackson met his untimely demise we we had about a, a small number of gloves signed and you know it always the same unfortunately um when, like i was saying before when someone passed away people just Jump on the bad wagon and mm. want to get these products. And then they're saying, you know, how do you get this Michael Jackson signed glove? And it's like, well, he was famous for, you know, 25, 30 years before he passed. You know, he was signing a lot of stuff before that. But, you know, we're putting auctions. And I remember um, to this day, our record, we got, did an event in, um, in Macau and uh, Jackie Chan, the actor, bought a Michael Jackson signed glove for 56,000 US dollars. Wow. So, it was a record at the time. And so the cost price on that glove was around $2,000, like beautifully framed, presented, yep. et cetera, et cetera. And we made for that charity, $54,000 on one item. That's pretty and they, amazing. And someone like that, Jackie Chan, who's you know famous globally as an actor and a performer in the martial arts, he would not have taken that money out of his pocket if it was something like a rare bottle of scotch or whatever yeah. wasn't of interest to him as much. So that's really proud for us to say, well, we made, you know, 27 times uh, what we got from the item. And obviously we have to pay for the item and the framing and the shipping and yep. the staff and all that. That's net profit to the charity. It's a very proud moment to think like that um,
0: on the top line. And obviously, you know, all those sort of items, they're all verified and you know, whether it's whatever the governing body is for certification or that, or photos taken or whatever. Correct. Yeah. So even or...
1: with Kobe, you know, we've got photos of him signing the jerseys. We've yeah. got um, Michael Jackson. Yes, we had the signing photos. So we give that, um, you know, to the guests. And, um, you know, also our longevity, because we started now in memorabilia back in 1992. So we've been around for a long, long time. So people know that, you know, we, we've, we've weathered the storms. You'll be able to call us or if they want to on-sell that item, if that's their choice, they can reach us on the phone you know, and, and ask, you know, when was it signed? And, yep. you know, some people choose to do that. And obviously, you know, we're, we're supportive of guests, once the purchasers, their choice what to do with it.
0: Well, you wouldn't be around for that long if, if you had been uh, flogging off some fakes or whatever. It's just not the way the business works. You would have been found out a long time ago.
1: God forbid, yes, I agree.
0: Well, but, uh, let's go back to the, uh, the parenting side of things. I always like to ask for a parenting tip for someone um, who's listening. We're not telling other blogs what to do, but it's more so if you have kids around the same age or maybe it was a time when you were struggling with the kids or whatever where you found something in particular worked for you. What would you say, Richard? Something that you can look back and maybe think, and might be worth passing on.
1: Okay, um, mine's about technology. So I, um, we get our children phones because you know if they're on public transport mm. or something like that, and they miss their bus and they're stuck somewhere, they can reach their parents and 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 let them know, or the you know carer that you know they're maybe need some help. And you know I'm um, forty six. I you know we didn't have phones when we were growing Thank up, God and no. we, we were we were okay, right? And it's a different era. I get that, but um, I um, I would recommend uh, we don't need to get our children smartphones and thousand-plus-dollar Apple iPhone, you know, Elevens and all this kind of stuff. When a thirty-dollar disposable phone from the, you know post office um, will do the same trick if we if we're getting it for the security reasons. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of persuasive children out there who's, you know, the, the number one thing is all my friends have one or I'm not only one in my class without one. Yep. Um, I, if I had that time again, I certainly wouldn't, um, you know, fall for these kind of lines because at the end of the day, the only reason that we would need to give it, and it's a need is in a inverted commas is that security and safety. Um, they don't need to be on WhatsApp and messaging all their friends at you know, 11 o'clock at night and all these kind of things that they, they get, um, phone addictions because adults Mm, are addicted to phones and children certainly um, they don't need to be in that there's never going to be a time in their rest of their lives that they're never going to have a phone again. So I would elongate that as much as possible with the smartphone. We don't need them to have this device, which has everything at the fingertips at that moment and can only, it can lead to some good outcomes, but realistically with, you know, you know, um, pedophiles grooming children and access to porn and all this kind of stuff that realistically you don't need to deal with at 10 years old or whatever you know it's i I would definitely just say look let's just put a pause on it and until it's necessary and there's schoolwork reliant reliance on it you know let's give them just a disposable phone that they can call home if needed you know for their parents
0: it's a good tip because at the end of the day, you know, as, as you know from when we were kids, you know, there's every state, you know, at some point or another, every kid gets bullied to some degree. But um, now with social media, like it doesn't stop. So at least we could go home from school and you wouldn't have to worry about it until the next day. But now if you do have, whether it's WhatsApp, like you said, or, you know, Instagram, whatever the kids use these days, TikTok, yeah. whatever it is, it doesn't, there's not an off button, especially if they're on the phone all night.
1: Yeah. And look, I, I'm, you know, I'm not, um, being sexist here, there are differences between boys and girls and boys will have, you know, issues of driving and, you know, um, you know, being responsible when they're when they're a little bit later. But my experience is with boys. But I would be very um fearful if a young girl had a daughter and they'd shed a phone and um, you know, what, what was going on and even the bullying from friends, I mean that that's that is just ghastly to me when you hear these young girls there's an eighteen year old girl in Sydney, I read an article on the telegraph yesterday who committed suicide. Um, two days after the funeral of her friend who committed suicide. Wow. Um, and, you know, the parents couldn't be involved with her own um, uh, psychologist once she turned 18 because obviously she was now an adult, an adult. And, and she wasn't going to the psychologist and all this kind of stuff. It's just horrible. You know, like not even the, the pedophiles and the bad people out there, you know, inverted commas, but your friends who are yeah. or, or, or school colleagues, you know, like, you know, like you're saying, you, you leave the schoolyard and then you're still getting it at home. It's there's no respite from it.
0: No, that's it's yeah, definitely not something you want to have to think about. My kids are only young, so I've got a few more years before we've got to cross that bridge, thankfully. But um, yeah. yeah, it's just it's, it's it's definitely not a nice part of technology, I guess. It has its benefits, but there's definitely downsides. Now, mate, before we finish up, there's always some sure. thing I always love to ask our I guess, and it's and some people find it a bit out of left field and they don't really have an answer, but for some people, there's always something they can maybe wind the clock back and think. So, if you could go back and tell your younger self any bit of advice any point of your life maybe it's when you were you know working the card shop or maybe it was when you first got into memorabilia maybe it's it's even younger what would you say richard
1: well it's interesting because you know this is a pure hypothetical and um, you know you could say to warn myself off the mistakes that we did But, you know, if you're not able to actually say, don't do the, you know, the things that you know didn't work out, there was a couple of hiccups that we had, because I don't know if you remember, but when Michael Jordan retired, um, there was a huge drop in these basketball cards and, um, you know, and we had to close shops down and um, and really lose this young fortune that we made. And then um, we actually did some memorabilia around um, Tony Lockett's 1300 goal kicking record and then Rather than and it was hugely successful back in um, 1999, but then we actually reinvested the money and we did another piece that didn't work. Yeah. Um. About six months later, we, I guess, lost all that money that we ploughed into that first piece. And you know, both of these things have been learning um, catalysts, and um, we've grown stronger post that. And um and I guess that's what I'm now putting into practice with the virus, that things are out of your control. Mm-hmm. Um, don't let it um it doesn't mean that you're a bad business person or a bad person or someone's out to get you, but um just to just to not let it put you down as much as it did at the time the first two. Um, because you know, you you there's something to be learned from um from the negatives, you know, rather than continual happiness and growth because that's completely unsustainable.
0: No, that's right. Like there's definitely lessons that um that can be taken out of any defeat if, if you look in the right places and if you make the mistake twice then it's probably, uh, then, yeah, that's on you. But um, no, I think that's great little advice there, mate. Where So when the world does open up and things are all back to normal with functions and all that sort of stuff and people are looking for events, where can they find out more about you uh, to uh, lock in your services? If they're the, the event planner or they're looking for someone to, uh, you know, to help boost up their little, um auction um or you know fundraiser
1: yeah well i mean thank you for that um we we've always been helping hand um which is one word with no s so um helpinghand.com.au and we've got a great general manager um, belinda smith so belinda.smith at helpinghand.com.au and she is the best person to really push um the potential path if they're in queensland or singapore or New Zealand and we will push this out as far and wide as possible always to get as much money raised as possible. And Belinda's the best go-to person to allocate the resources needed to assist in that event. uh,
0: Definitely. We'll put all those links in the show notes, Richard. Thanks for your time today. I appreciate the insights. I hope the world does open up again for you very soon. You can get back to doing what you do best with that kill time and in front of a microphone.
1: Thank you so much, Daniel, and um, to the listeners today as
0: well. Too easy. All the best. Thank you. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that little chat with Richard. Hope you were able to t- take something out of that as a dad, but also, too, is a nice little episode of File Away in the Memory Bank, especially if you're the type of person who is involved or knows someone who is involved with organizing these type of fundraising events. Please go to helpinghand.com.au, check out what they do, and how they may be able to help you when the world opens up again and we're allowed to all be in the same room with each other and raise some great money for some great causes. Now, I'd appreciate if you can go into the back catalog if you're only new to our show. There's 43 episodes now in our little vault, some awesome stories with some great blokes, some passionate dads, some passionate business owners as well. And I'd love to hear your story too. So if you're thinking you'd like to have a chat, please reach out, daniel at dpmtransformation.com. Tell me a little bit about yourself, about your family, and of course, about your business. And I'd love to be able to get you one for a nap. Uh, For an episode of Small Business Dads in the near future. And finally, please share these stories. The only way that we get these stories into the ears of other awesome dads, just like you and other awesome business owners, is by people like you sharing the story, whether it's on social media, whether it's when you're having a beer with a mate, tell them about this show. I appreciate any shares that you do. The more ears we get this podcast around, the more people we can help, the more stories we can share. And you Never know because one tip shared may be something that you need to hear right this very moment. For another week, Daniel Monday, smallbusinessdads.com.au. Over and out.